Hello, and welcome to this episode of TechLink in Conversation. I'm Eddie Grant, a director at Technical Connection. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Tony Wickenden, Joint Managing Director of Technical Connection. Hello, Tony. How are you? Hey, Eddie. Yeah, I'm also delighted, and I'm very well, thanks. It's Friday. Looking forward to the last football-free weekend. I know we've had our fixture conversation already, but let's <laughs> move on from that, shall we? Are you good? Yeah, all very good. Thank you. All very good. Um, So really what we're trying to do um, in these episodes is try and review the current bulletins that we've been producing on TechLink. And I suppose a really good place to start is the work that you've been leading on uh, for us in relation to the government's support over the last five months. So we're now coming very much to the end of some of the government measures. So what should advisors be talking to their clients about? Right. Well, first, I would say it's been a real team effort led, yeah, to some extent by me. But special credit definitely needs to go to Sandra Hogg for all the brilliant work she's put in. If you've seen, and I know listeners hopefully will have seen The Matrix, that's been a, not the film, the thing that summarises all of the um, the government help schemes. That's been a brilliant piece of work, largely developed by Sandra. Um, yeah, we've been particularly pleased with that. And of course, we had a bulletin this week at the point of recording it was this week um, on Thursday the 20th reminding us that the SEISS is open for the special second stage claim and it jogged my memory a bit because this has gone a bit out of out of mind for a little bit because it's all a bit become a bit business as usual as happens with so many things that you know we're moving towards the winding down of the furlough scheme it doesn't look like that's going to be extended although there's a lot of pressure particularly from certain sectors to do that um, and that bulletin on the SEISS reminded us all a bit of it's all very well to make a claim. But as we were discussing yesterday, I think, Eddie, the, the importance of retaining records, which in a very sort of hectic life of trying to keep your business going and all the rest of it, to keep those records in case as they are, you know, you ought to assume they are likely to, you know, check and audit. Has your business been adversely affected, for example, if you're making your claim? I mean, the claim's really helpful to people. It's going to give you up to £6,570, you know, an average of your your average monthly profits over the three years ending in 2018-19. But keeping those records to prove, because it's such an important point, to prove that your business has been adversely affected is really important. The bulletin gives really good indications, examples, as does the revenue side, which we draw from, on what adversely means. You know, so there's a great range of things, most obviously, if your profits have gone down. But there are other other ways in which you can prove justifiably that your business has been adversely affected. That's a lot of words from me, basically, and I haven't even answered your question, really. So with the furlough winding down as well and the SEISS winding down, it, it is a reminder that when we're – this sounds really patronising, it's stating the obvious, really, but it's worth stating that when you're talking to clients, be they individuals just for themselves or business owners – this is the importance of, you know, really, really listening and being really, really sensitive to what their lives may be. I know it's an area you spend a lot of time on vulnerability, that is, Eddie. I don't know if, you know, that, that's a particularly important aspect of advising clients these days, isn't it? Especially in these current times, this new normal, as we've come to call it. Yes, I think, um, I mean, the whole vulnerability issue has been massive um, and the FCA in particular is looking at it and wants to know what companies and, and advisors are doing to support their clients. And I think also there's a there's a lot um, of joined up thinking if you were if you're an advisor. 
So you may have a client, for example, where there's been a bereavement um, in the family, and it may be your own client that has, has died, but you look after other members of the family, then it's important to recognize that those other members of the family that are still clients have a vulnerability. I think the other area also, uh, you know, where clients have stopped regular contributions because of income issues. Um, once again, there is definitely a need to sort of make sure that you're considering the issues of vulnerability. And so whilst we're processing one element, uh, for example, uh, contribution uh, holidays, we're probably perhaps not always doing the second part of it, which is marking the, the client's record and, and making sure that we're considering the type of support that that client may need during this particular time. I think also um, you know, we're seeing the regulator really focusing on that, and there's definitely going to be a, a, um, a time when they'll the, the ask questions, and we, as we know, we've got a consultation at the moment around vulnerability. I think also from your perspective, Tony, the... Um, the next stage, so we've had all the government support and the government has spent a huge amount of, of money uh, and we now have uh, an even bigger debt than the one we had before. And at some point, the government will want to, to bring that debt down in, in some form. So what do you think, as an advisor, should be thinking about, about this period of higher taxation that we're going to probably see? Yeah, and it's, it is a subject that's coming up a little more. I mean, all the talk, as I just mentioned, and we've just both discussed over the last few months, has been around the help schemes that are there. And, and to that, you know, your original question, which I didn't fully answer in the end, after asking you to comment on that important point on vulnerability, was just saying, you know, it's a really good opportunity, and in fact, we probably have a, in fact, we definitely have a responsibility to engage with our, our clients, not keep our heads down. I know many have not been doing that, the majority, but to just, you know, listen, really, you know, just seek to diagnose before prescribe, prescribing and, and just you know, be properly informed before you have those conversations with the client. The work that you do in keeping up to date, hopefully using TechLink as a, as a contributor towards that, it's really important that your client, you know, gets you in your best form, as it were, really, fully informed, able to deliver that alpha that's so important to the relationship. I think that's the thing that clients remember, that you were there, you were informed, you were credible, that you could be relied on. All those things contribute towards that all-important trust, not in a self-serving way, it's just what we need to do as sort of humans and particularly as advisors in this time. So to that point on taxation, our people do want to know what, what's going to happen, what could happen. I've read this, I've read that, what's true, what's not. You're the professional, what do you think? So I think being informed is is really, really important. So I suppose at the moment, looking at those things, you deal with stuff that is is really urgent and important. And, and that's really something that you have to do. And the government, in the government sense, if you're the government, urgent and important means being able to you know, keep the country going, regenerate economic activity, do all we can, you know, clinically, medically, and all the rest of it, suppress the virus, all that kind of stuff. But from the stuff that we're involved in, the government will look to be able to sort of get money to to help with that support, to actually implement that support, which they've done incredibly well. The markets have been amazingly supportive, both internationally and at home. And of course, the Bank of England helped by effectively printing money to support it, to, to get that th- what is now around 350 billion is going to be the net public sector borrowing requirement. The amount of government's 350 billion, that's seven times more that was predicted on the budget on the 11th of March. Um, but the cost of servicing it is 
quite low because interest rates are low to negative. So the, the, the immediate sort of pressing need to how do we pay for this debt? Well, servicing it's pretty easy. But as you said, Eddie, that is the longest intro to actually giving an answer you've ever heard. But you're used to that with me. It's the sort of Ronnie Corbett of financial planning. You sort of you, you move towards how do we repay it and talk then comes towards you know taxation. Spend less, get more in. We'll spend less, we're not going to austerity. I think we know that. This government isn't going to go towards that, whatever your political views, they're not going to do that. So on taxation, then also any form of taxation that's going to diminish expenditure, diminish economic activity is also going to be put on hold, I would think. You know, so those the big three income tax, NIC uh, and VAT, uh, are not going to be increased. And of course, we've got the reduction in VAT that we're enjoying in the hospitality sector, as well as help out, eat out to help out. Have you, have you done any of that? Eddie, eating out to help out. I know you like a bit of food. You're always bringing biscuits to all your friends. So, yeah, I uh, we did we we have done done it once, and uh, uh, and yeah, it was good. I was I was surprised at uh, how big a discount because they were actually giving the discount on everything rather than on, on uh, up to ten pounds. So that was oh, that worked out. Well, now I've heard as well. Everything I had. Uh, Where's that? I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> I had I had someone um, there was a restaurateur the other day who was saying that people keep on asking for the bill after the starter and then the main course and then the pudding so they <laughs> they were having three bills and he was he, he was chucking them out because he said he didn't think that the chancellor had intended that that's unbelievable that's, I don't know what sort of avoidance that is it's more sort of getting that's amazing how incredible so anyway Interest. I've not had that kind of experience, but it has been good, I have to say. So looking at, um, you know, corporation tax, another main generator, I don't think that's going to be changed. We've got that other thing that's gone off the off the menu a little bit, forgive this, um, is Brexit. And, you know, encouraging companies to stay here or come here means a low corporation tax rate. So I don't see that going up. So it's the capital taxes that have attracted a bit of interest, especially in the press. And we've covered it in bulletins over the last couple of weeks. Um, inheritance tax has been one that's been resting and waiting to be looked at. We talked about it a few times already, so I won't dwell on that. OTS being the, the generator, the author of that. And now we've had the CGT request that's been made by the, the Chancellor for the OTS, Office of Tax Simplification, to have a look at that. Um, and that has gone, the request has gone so much wider than the normal administration simplification uh, request to the Office of Tax Simplification. Uh, and they've asked, you know, to be, they've asked, been asked to look at a wide range of pretty much the entirety of CGT to look at how we could simplify the taxation of capital gains, make it fit for purpose, uh, a smooth process, of course. And then they start for proposals from the OTS, the Chancellor's asked for, on, on exemptions, reliefs, losses, and, the, and this is important, I think, the interaction of how gains are taxed compared to other forms of income. Gain isn't income, I suppose, but you do get it in. But that gives a strong indication, I think, of look, nothing's really off the table here. They've even mentioned the principal private residents and small businesses. So for small businesses, I think we probably had e enough with that recent change to entrepreneurs really bringing it down um, to £1 million as a lifetime overall limit. Um, but in relation to the capital gains tax generally, you'd think private residents, given conservative policy and the, the the love of the whole population with, you know, investing in private, even residential property or having a residence and knowing that it's going to be free of capital gains tax. 
But there's been talk, possibly there could be, this is just commentary, by the way, not government talk, that there could be, you know, a, a cap on how much private residence relief you can use throughout your lifetime, rather like entrepreneurs relief. But you know, I don't know at what level, nothing's been mentioned, there's nothing official. But the, the majority of talk, I think, has been around the linking of capital gains tax. So basically taxing capital gains by income tax rates. And we've seen that before over quite an extended period. So if you look at capital gains, thinking it's generating, what's the purpose of all this? Is it a policy thing? Yeah, I think there's something to that. I mean, we had the Labour Party and the Lib Dems saying, how come capital gains are taxed at such a low rate compared to income? You know, in a lot of cases, it's one half the rate, isn't it? You know, basic rate taxpayers, 10% versus 20. I'm leaving aside, you know, property sales and carried interest. But 10 to 20 or uh, 20 to 40 or 45. So it's quite a big discount for capital gains. How do we justify that? I think is the is what was said by the Lib Dems and Labour Party. And seeing as we have a history of it before, even with a Conservative Charter, so you know, um, linking to income tax, I think is is a strong possibility. And that, of course, has it affect it will affect a rel- this is really interesting because it affects a relatively small number of the population if you're thinking of votes. I think that fifty-four percent, according to the latest. HMRC stats, which we quoted in the bulletin uh, this week, um, 54 per, 54% of the capital gains is paid by 5,000 people. That's such a tiny number. There's only about just under 300,000 total number of CGT payers. So if you do something that affects that small number of people but gets in a big chunk of tax, generates about 10 billion. So it's not huge compared to 350 billion, but over time, then, you know, that, that can help. I mean, you, Tax changes, once they're introduced, tend to get a bit forgotten. There's a bit of a kick-up initially. But if the kick-up's only from 5,000 people, you could see the government going, so what, really? Most people going, yeah, it doesn't affect me. So what's the problem? But it does. It would, it would affect planning, wouldn't it? Because that goes to the heart of you know, investing in collectives with the CGP exemption. That's another thing to be looked at, but even if we kept an exemption. If we've got income tax rates, that does affect the whole thing and comparison of wrappers, as it were. Now, that assumes, of course, there's no changes elsewhere. It could mean a resurgence of interest in investment bonds as tax shelters, possibly if the CGT, undoubted CGT advantages of collectives fall away. Um, but, you know, all of this is just my conjecture. So uh, all that caveat goes with that. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But it's something that we will see something of relatively soon, I think. The call, first call for evidence on the or the principles has already gone. I mean, the call was made, and you had to get in by the tenth of, of August. And now we're looking at uh, into October for the more detailed technical stuff and representations can be made. So if you're interested in it and feel strongly about it, make your representations. We might get, we might just get a kind of first stage indication at the autumn statement or budget. Of course, if we have one, there's been a bit of talk there. So this is all me talking, but a little bit of talk there about the potential to possibly defer that until the spring if there is a proper sort of second wave or spike, which hopefully there isn't, that has to be dealt with and we need to push out the other things a little bit further. Um, yeah, that was a lot of me talking about the potential for CGT change, but it's something that advisors need to be, honestly, need to be aware of. And, and obviously we see it as our responsibility to keep you up to date and take the legwork out of giving you that information that helps you with that sort of credible part of the trust equation. And you, uh, you just mentioned uh, investment bonds. There's, there's, a, there's quite an interesting 
case, isn't there? This is silver case and the interaction with uh, personal allowance that that has taken another sort of nudge forward on it. Do, do you want to just remind us what's happened? It's such a really it's so shockingly complex. All of this for something that is perceived as so being so simple, really. Um, you know, and that that case put the, basically challenged the revenue successfully, didn't it? With um, with the point on what you take into account in, you know, most people with top slicing, you think, oh, yeah, you just divide that again by the number of years the bond's been enforced and that's all you need to do. And that gets you possibly below the higher rate threshold and means you don't pay any tax on an onshore bond and maybe not the higher rate liability on an offshore one. And then, oh, yeah, with personal, the personal allowance, doesn't it have an impact on that? And up until the silver case, yeah, it did because you add the whole, and you still do, you, the basic principle is you add the whole gain to your adjusted net income to determine, one, what level of personal savings allowance you're entitled to. So for most people who made a decent-sized gain under the bond, it knocks their personal savings allowance down to £500 or even possibly takes it away completely. Um, but it does, you need to do that first. And then with the related relation to the personal allowance, which is what silver was about, is, of course, and you still need to, even despite this new legislation, because we now have the Finance Act to receive Royal Assent in July. So we have this legislation, which was announced in, in the budget, which said, OK, for the purposes of calculating, for the purposes of the top slicing relief calculation, in the calculation purpose, in the calculation process, you only need to take into account the top sliced gain. And that effectively could retain you and it will for a number of people retain you your personal allowance, which in effect then retains you more basic rate band to apply against your top slice bond gain. And in determining whether your personal allowance is available to you in that top slice calculation, you only take account of your top slice gain. So when you add that to your adjusted net income, it may well not take you above that 100,000 threshold where you start kicking, knocking back your personal allowance by one pound for every two pounds that you're adjusting their income. You see, see how complicated it is? This is without diagrams. Um, so you knock that back by one pound for every two pound at 125,000. You lose your personal allowance. And that will mean you have less basic rate band because the personal allowance expands the basic rate band effectively. Uh, and if it's gone completely, you'll only have 37,500 instead of 50,000 to use to soak up your top size gains to see if there's a tax liability. And that's the point. It is that the confusion that has arisen for some has been that, oh, that works for all purposes. And so even for your normal tax calculation, you only take account of the personal, uh, you only take account of the top slice gain. Well, it's only reinstating that the personal allowance in the top slicing calculation, not in the general ascertainment of whether your personal allowance has been reduced or not. So that is also well covered. Not by me, it was, that was a great piece of John Woolley work in the bulletins. So that's in the bulletin. And I think we're doing some more examples. I was talking to John about this yesterday, actually. Some more examples. So watch out. That's a forthcoming attraction. So that whole area of the, the underbelly, as it were, of what goes, it's like the swan of an investment bond taxation. It's all really simple. And then underneath, you've got all this fierce paddling going on in the shape of how the interaction of the personal savings allowance and the nil rate starting band and the, even the dividend allowance and the personal allowance all goes on. And I think having an awareness of all of that and, and the knowledge of all that might not cut much with 
with clients, but certainly with professional connections. This is a really intricate area of tax, which they probably won't be, accountants won't be well versed in. That can help also with your credibility factor, adding to, you know, your, your trust score, which means, you know, better relationships. That's probably left people even more confused. Read the bulletin, people, I'd say. Well, it's de- definitely an advert for, for uh, reading the bulletins, no question. Definitely. Um, another bit you mentioned um, uh, in, re- in relation to tax reference, obviously we have a, you know, there's a lot of clients now who are moving into retirement yes. and uh, there's always a great focus on taking money from pensions for retirement. But actually it's about much broader than that. It's all about the different pots of money and the use of tax wrappers. That's, a, that's something you've been uh, looking at a little bit, haven't you, at the moment? I have, yeah, I'm not alone in that. I think the whole sector is starting to um, do that because, as you said, so so many clients of advisors are of that age. I mean, obviously, the whole intergenerational piece is really important to have younger clients and be appropriate for them. But that decumulation point, which is, I don't know if that's a new word, but it's a sort of an invention during our lifetime, it used to mean you know, different ways to draw your pension, didn't it? You know, when we have pensions freedom. But as you said, Eddie, I completely agree that when you get to that point of needing to draw some money, either to supplement your your working, your money from working, exploiting your human capital or to replace it, then it's so important to take an all-asset approach like it is for estate planning. We look at everything because by just concentrating on the pensions, you might not be making the right choices. And that's a, a great, again, a fantastic opportunity for advisors to prove alpha, you know, the, the benefit to the bottom line that they know how delivers it's really really important and so most people by hook or by crook or by you know by plan or by just accident when you get to the point of drawing down you probably will have more than just the pension you know let's not even forget your home it might for some a few even be appropriate to consider that taking a, a lifetime mortgage maybe i mean I, I stress this is not right for everybody but for some people drawing down from your home rather than your pension especially if you could get some you know, avoidance of sequencing risk by having a fixed amount coming in at a fixed interest rate and and having a debt on your estate as well and preserving your asset in the best place, i.e. the pension fund. Because that's the thing, I think, when you look to draw down and consider all your assets, your investment bonds, your ISAs, your collectives, your VCTs, your ISAs, everything you have and your pensions and your cash, all of that, where's the best place to take the money from is the question. And in principle, you know, your best principles is, Leave the money, if you can, in the place where it grows best and is the best home for it, the best environment for it. And from a tax standpoint, which is what we tend to concentrate in TC, um, rightly or wrongly, is, you know, it's the pension, isn't it? I mean, it grows free of CGT, income tax is free of IHD. Of course, you've got an income tax liability if you take money out following the death of the person whose fund it was um, after age 75, but tremendously attractive place to hold your money. And then the next best, best practice principle is, and when you do take the money out, try and take it in a way that diminishes the tax on the throughput, on the, the journey from where it comes from to your pocket. If you can do that, the amount that you need will be a little bit lower because you won't need to fund for the tax as well. And that preserves the capital. And all of that is a really good thing. And then there's, you know, obviously underneath all of that, there's the portfolio bit. Going, you need to have the right portfolios that, if they can, help you to avoid the dreaded, you know, sequencing risk or pound cost ravaging. You know, when you need to dip into your capital to provide a fixed level of income, which which isn't provided for just by natural income. So all of that, I think, all of that tells us taking an all asset approach to your drawdown and your decumulation 
will usually lead to the right outcome. And you absolutely, absolutely need advice for that. It's so, so important. And the last point on that, I think, is for, for advisors advising you know, younger people with a view to this is a challenge or an opportunity you'll have later in life is, you know, the best decumulation, the most open sort of flexible decumulation is usually driven by giving it good thought, by having a really good, thoughtful accumulation. You know, because you can go, oh, if you could take your money from your ISO, it's completely tax-free. That's brilliant. It diminishes less of your capital. But if you haven't put money into ISAs or maximise your ISO contributions, at the point you want to start doing that, well, there's an annual limit. You can't just transfer all your money into an ISA. And the same with investment bonds. If you like the idea of accumulating a load of 5% tax deferred withdrawals, or even better, perhaps, a long top slicing period, the clue's in the work. Long. You need to have had the bond in place for a long while. So that thoughtful accumulation leads to a more optimal decumulation. That's the end of that little rant. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, uh, Tony. Uh, it's been it's been great to catch up and and uh, and for you sh- sharing your insights um, with everyone today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. Thanks, Eddie. And you, you made it very simple, as you always do. So um, have a great weekend. Thanks a lot. Same to you. See you. Bye. The content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any action or inaction.